Are there any priests in the building tonight? Isn't that something? Isn't that great? You know, somebody gets sick and they hear, is there a doctor in the house? And then somebody who may be stricken, and we need to get a priest to give them the last rites. And you have to make a phone call. We are priests of God. And that's one of the main things we've learned in Hebrews 13, all through Hebrews 13, but especially as we come to the end here. Um, let's take a look at uh, verse 10. 13.10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle there in Jerusalem have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals, those literal animals, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, his shame, his vilification, uh, the suffering the contempt of people against him. Let's join him with that. Let's go outside. Remember, these are Jewish men and women who have started to follow Jesus and lost their uh, status in the community, their place in the synagogue, and their, their need to go to the temple. And now they're having trouble. He says, no, no, come out. You see where Jesus suffered. They threw him out of the city and crucified him. Let's go out. Let's bear his shame. And he says in verse 14, for here we have no continuing city. This is not our home, but we seek the one to come. We have an assurance of that because of Christ. Therefore, and here's the key phrase, by him, by Jesus our Passover, by Jesus our Yom Kippur, our Day of Atonement, by his work that makes us completely acceptable to God. We've been perfected forever by this sacrifice of Jesus. Therefore, by him, let us now continually offer the sacrifice of praise, not blood, but the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So we worship the Lord and serve him as priests with our lips. But then he says in verse 16, but do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, think about that, our good works and our sharing are considered by God to be sacrifices. Every bit as important to the Lord as those animal sacrifices he says, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And of course, the remarkable, um, the remarkable transformation of the holy God's worship is, is clearly observable that in the Old Testament, it was a very bloody liturgy. When I say liturgy, that's, that's the way people worship. And in the Old Testament, it was a very bloody liturgy. We have a, our order of service. And in those days, there would be, imagine a very, very hot day at the temple with all these people coming and bringing their sacrifices. But what's remarkable is since Christ has come, there are no bloody sacrifices. There are sacrifice of our lips, praise and thanksgiving, sacrifice of our good works, spiritual sacrifices, what we're doing here tonight is in place of what was going on um, in what represented the coming of Christ. Now he has come and we fulfill that by how we worship the Lord as his priest. And we know our high priest. And remember, he's with us 
but also we're with him, our high priest, who offers himself uh, regularly by intercessions based on his shed blood for our good to, to make us like him and to prepare us for our destination of glory. So that's what we've learned so far. And I, I wanted to uh, make three statements along these lines from what we've learned. First of all, Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, ignites in our hearts a renewed, holy, continuous service of worship to God throughout the whole earth, wherever believers are gathered to praise him and to live for him, not just in one building in one city. You know what I mean? The temple was the only place allowed for worship. Jerusalem was the only city where that temple was. You were not to worship on the high places. You were not to worship here or there. That was it. But now God's worship is everywhere where anyone gathers with brothers and sisters to praise him. And so Jesus and the Holy Spirit ignite in our hearts a renewed, holy, continuous service of worship to our God. And the second thing is, this means that life is worship. Worship doesn't take place three times in the year down at the temple. Life is worship. And worship is all of life. What that means is, if we are priests, and now we've been consecrated by the blood of Christ and made holy saints of God, then living your life every day for Jesus Christ is worship, is our service of worship. And thirdly, we can say, and I hope that, um, I hope that you can understand what I'm about to say, the liturgy has moved out of the temple and into the world. Again, what is liturgy? Liturgy is a word that is used for how people worship. You have liturgical churches, high churches, and you have what they call low churches, and we would be considered a low church, very little liturgy. But liturgy simply means, and it's most basic understanding, how people worship God. And what I'm saying is from what I read in Hebrews, God's liturgy, that is, how God's people worship him, it has moved out of the temple and into the world because we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world, and by our good deeds, by living out loud for the Lord, by loving each other, by caring for people, by being his witnesses in the world, we offer a liturgy, a service of worship before man's eyes. We're a city set on a hill. We're the city, no longer Jerusalem, but we're the city, okay? So as priests, we offer God spiritual sacrifices, not bloody ones. And Hebrews then here in verse 16 identifies two aspects of our liturgy, of our worship, our lips and our lives. And you'd have to agree with me, I think, that our lips and our lives pretty much sum up everything we do, our lips and our lives. So he says in verse 16... Um, or verse 15, therefore, by Jesus Christ, our Passover, our sacrifice, our high priest, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Here it is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Secondly, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Our lips and our lives. Now, we've studied the lips um, already um, a few weeks back. 
And, uh, and we also mentioned how Jesus is the ultimate worship leader. I don't know how many of you remembered that. He's the psalm singer. He leads all of God's people together to, to praise him and worship him. And in a sense, the world has become God's temple again. Remember what happened when the world was first God's temple, Adam and Eve in the garden, and God came in, and they were together. Then they were ejected from the garden, and the angel with the flaming sword kept them from going back. We were separated from God, and now we're out in the wilderness. And then Jesus begins in the wilderness where Adam began in the garden and lost the garden to get us back to the garden. And so now we're moving closer And we can worship the Lord in this fallen world, wherever we are. Remember, Jesus said, it won't just be on this mountain anymore or Jerusalem where God will be worshipped. He will be worshipped. And Jesus knew and foresaw this, that he'd be worshipped. God the Father would be worshipped everywhere where believers are who follow Jesus. So I wanted to talk now about what he says here, to do good and share. Now, when, I, when you hit this as a fundamentalist evangelical church, you do have to take a little time and remind people that we do not believe that you're saved by faith plus your good works. You will go to hell very quickly if you try to stand before God and say, I believed in you and look at all my works, add them together and let me into heaven. Will not happen. So we talked about that last time. I believe that was last time because I've been away a couple Sunday nights and we did not have a Sunday night for Mother's Day. So what he is talking about here is not salvation by faith plus works. Our worshipful words and our good works, listen, are the fruit of our salvation. Okay? And I say our worshipful words because he talks about the sacrifice of the lips And the doing good and the sharing, our works, are the fruit of our salvation. Good works are the result, not the cause of of, uh, our salvation. And um, just to think about that for a second, um, we know that people do good works, saved and unsaved people. There are Hindus who do good works. There are Muslims who do good works. There are atheists who do good works. Um, There's people whose lives are very wicked and sinful who do good works. Well, what's the problem? The problem is that before Christ, we're unclean, defiled, unacceptable um, sinners that even the good things we do cannot be acceptable to God because we ourselves are unacceptable. Because you cannot offer God a mixed sacrifice. You cannot offer God uh, a sheep with a broken leg. And basically... Those of us who have the sin of Adam and who were born in sin and then live lives of sin, we can't say, oh, Lord, we're not Muslims. We don't say, if my good works outweigh my bad works, then I have a chance, right? No. So first things first, we must humble ourselves, repent, come to Jesus, and then he washes and cleanses us, makes us a new person, stamps his righteousness upon us, so to speak, imputes his righteousness to us. And now we are children of God, adopted into his family. And now through faith in Christ, we can do good things and say good things. And these are pleasing sacrifices to God in the name through the sacrifice and righteousness of Jesus Christ. Okay, So good works that are acceptable to God are the result 
not the cause of our salvation. However, we must also say doing good is strongly emphasized and even commanded in the New Testament. So I want to look at that for a bit. And we can start right here at Hebrews 13, verse 1. Look at verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Now, that should tip you and me off here. What is the true source of good works? God's love for us. We love him because he first loved us. So he says to these men and women who it seems were not getting along like they should have, probably because of fear, and some have suffered, maybe some suffered more than others, and they were maybe, hey, you, you should be coming back out to church. Where are you at? What's going on here? And so he says, wait a minute. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Look, remember the prisoners as if you were chained with them, those who are mistreated by the world out there, since you yourselves also are in the body. Boy, think about those believers that are suffering. How would that feel to you if it was you? Remember them. Pray for them. If we can help them out, let's help them out. You see? That's what he's saying. Um, good works. Sharing. Loving. So if we know God's love, that love fills our hearts and then we say, if God loved me, I want to love others because of his love for me. Also, look at 10.24, Hebrews 10.24. You remember this, right? Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the matter of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Okay? Then look a little further here, Hebrews 10, verse 32. He's encouraging them, and he says, But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great st struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So again, they were suffering grievously, and yet they reached out to others that were suffering. And then Paul, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, Hebrews also says that God will not forget the good things that you have done in another part of Hebrews. So Hebrews itself has had this emphasis in it that you're God's child. He has saved you. He's, he's washed you, cleansed you, forgiven you. Now you love others with the love with which you've been loved. Now, look at Jesus, though. Back to Jesus for a moment. Matthew 5. And we actually read this this morning. Matthew 5, 16. Again, we're talking about the good works that God calls us to do as a result of his love for us produced by his salvation of us and a witness for him. So Matthew 5, 16, he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Boy, I heard that verse a long time ago. I think I probably heard that, voice before I was a Christian, that verse before I was a Christian. But sometimes we forget about the simple things that Jesus has said. 
let your light so shine before men. And how's that light shine? That they may buy, that they may see your good works. And what will they do? Glorify our Father in heaven. So good works, they don't save us, but they help us say God is real. God is love. God is good. You should believe in him too. You know, I do these good things not for my own sake and glory, but because God saved me and I want you to know him too. Or how about chapter 25? This is the classic passage in terms of Jesus' words and Jesus' teaching. This is the classic passage, Matthew chapter 25. And this is talking about the return of our Lord. Matthew 25, and then let's start with verse 35. Ah, no, let's start with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, can't wait to see that, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, Make sure that's where you will be. But the goat's on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, listen to this. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. There, see? What a great incentive for me to care for somebody, to think that I'm, I can never repay Jesus for what he did. Can you? I cannot. You cannot. But here we have a way to say, thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And it could be an enemy that we love. And he gives us that love that we don't look at somebody and say, all right, are you, one of, are you, are you like me? Okay, I can love you but I can love you because when Jesus loved me, it wasn't when I was like him. And then he, you have the other side where he says to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he goes through that litany again. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I needed help and you didn't help me. Well, when did we see this? Well, you were doing your own thing, living your own life. You didn't know me, you didn't care about me. And because you didn't believe in me, your heart was not changed. You didn't have my love. And so you were doing your own thing, living your own way in life. And you never saw me when I was there. Mm. So let's remember these verses. I also like Luke chapter 6, verse 35. Can you look at that with me for a sec? Luke chapter 6, verse 35. He says, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. 
and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. So again, Jesus is saying, you know God now. He's your Father. He's your Father because he gave a son for you. Your Savior gave his life for you. He's washed you and cleansed you. He's changed your nature. You're not that person you were when he found you. Now, knowing God, who he is and what he's like, he's so merciful, he's so kind and so gracious and generous. Don't withhold, but freely give as you have freely received. That's the idea here. Um, I like also Acts chapter 10, verses 36 to 38. Now, we leave the Gospels here and go into Acts, Acts chapter 10. And so in Acts, there is the recall or the recollection of Jesus in his ministry to be an example for you and for me. So Acts chapter 10, let's look at verse 36. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, that word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And isn't that the fundamental truth and reality of salvation? God is with you. God is with me. Think about it. Before Christ, where was God in relationship to you? And where were you in relationship to God? God was angry with the wicked, and we were counted among the wicked. And where were we? What were we doing? Living our lives, doing our thing. Didn't have much time for God. We're looking at the world. I want that. I want that. Oh, and church, got to be kidding me. Bible? Read the Bible. Nobody believes that anymore. Then he saves you, and now instead of being separated from God on your way to doom, God is with you, and you are with him forever. And so Jesus is that great example. God was with him, and what was his life like? He loved people. He cared for people. He went out of his way for people. And that's our example to follow. And here's one. You, you may know this one, Acts chapter 9. I love this lady. I can't wait to meet her. Acts chapter 9. All right, verse 36. At Joppa... There was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. Now look at this scene. All the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. I, I was naked and you clothed me, see? And there they are, crying, weeping, mourning. Verse 40, but Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. 
And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up like the little girl. Remember, Jesus raised the little girl. She opened her eyes. She saw Peter. She sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. I hear this wonderful woman whose death caused such grief, such sense of loss. Look at all that she did for so many of us. And God decided that it was time for her to come back, and was not, she, he was not ready for her yet. I love that story. I can't wait to meet her. And then God has an eternal, preordained, foreordained purpose for you in saving you. You know what that is. Let me show it to you. This will not be anything new to most of you. Ephesians chapter 2. Now it's got that very famous statement that most of us, as soon as we're saved, we know this. We didn't even try to memorize it. We know it. It's Ephesians 2. Go ahead and turn there. And then look at verse 8. Remember this? For by grace you have been saved through faith. Know the verse? And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, this is, uh, again, that... that mysterious insight into the sovereignty of God, the predestinating sovereignty of God, that he ordains us to walk in these good works, which he had, as he put it there, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's awesome. It's humbling. So when he saved you, he already had good works prepared for you to walk in. You say, how's that work? All right. I'm not sure I can explain it, but there it is. And so whenever God calls upon you to do something and you say to yourself, I can't do that. Yes, you can. I, I, what am I going to do? Don't panic. Believe. Trust him. Wait a minute. God's opened the door for me. He's calling me to this kind of work, this, this kind of ministry. If he calls you to it, he will equip you and enable you to do it. So it's great. So you have a verse to go back to on that. Um, and that's his intention for you. And I've got lots of other ones, too, that we could look at. Um, maybe uh, we could look at a couple of exhortations uh, just to round it out. Galatians 6.10, which is not too far away from Ephesians, right? Galatians 6.10 Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's an exhortation. Now, let's do this. 1 Thessalonians 5.15. 1 Thessalonians 5.15. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. 1 Timothy 6. Seventeen and nineteen. Now, this doesn't pertain to anybody in this room tonight, right? 
1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. God makes a person rich. It's not for that person. It's for others. We must not forget that. You say, I'm not rich. Well, you probably got more money than people in lots, lots of parts of the world that try to struggle along from day to day. Or back to Titus. We read that earlier. Let's look at it more particularly. Titus chapter 2. We won't read the whole thing again. But look at verse 7. He's saying, Titus, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, etc., Or then look at verse 14 here. He says, uh, Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So it used to be lawless deeds we were into, but now we've been purified. So we pursue good works. So chapter 3, verse 8. This is a faithful saying. These things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. And what is there? Another one, 14. Paul says to Titus, who sent to Crete, like I said earlier, to organize some things, set some things straight. He says, let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Again, the idea of fruitfulness, salvation produces the fruit of love and good works. Jesus says, he's the vine, we are the branches, and we are to bear fruit. And if we don't bear fruit, the branch gets lopped off, whatever that means. Scary. But even if we bear good fruit, he prunes us so that we may bear even more fruit. And that's one of the marvels of a healthy grapevine, isn't it? that you work at it and prune it, and you're cutting things off, and then the next time around, there's more grapes than ever here. So that's the idea. God is fruitful. Now, let me finish by turning to James, which may be the best place to close out uh, the investigation of good works in the New Testament. James chapter 1. This is very convicting to me. Maybe it is for you as well. James chapter 1. Look at verse 26 to start with. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So you see what he's talking about. People who consider themselves to be religious. So what do we make of this? Well, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion Before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, to visit, in the Bible, the word visit, it can and occasionally does mean to stop over and see somebody. But usually it means visit in the sense of when God visits. 
So when, when the Holy Spirit came, Jesus was conceived. He visited Mary for a purpose. When Jesus came, the Bible says it was God visiting his people. So in the Bible, visit is to come with a purpose, and that is to redeem, to rescue, to help, to bring aid to somebody else. So when it says this, visit orphans and widows in their trouble, it means look out for people like widows and orphans, but I don't think just widows and orphans, and give them aid, help them out, be there for them. That's the religion that is true religion before God. Not some sham where you look good like a Pharisee, but you're in it for yourself rather than for loving God and loving other people. And then a little bit later on in James chapter 2, I think you know this one, right? Verses 15. Uh, what does it, verse 14, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And uh, he goes on and he speaks of that. So saving faith produces love that is expressed in good works. So he says, do not forget... And I want to point out one last thing. Go back to Hebrews 13. So Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. I want you to look at the pronouns. You know what a pronoun is, right? It takes the place of an owl. So you can say, Steve went skiing and broke his neck. Or you can say, yep, he broke his neck when he went skiing. Okay? Pronoun. So I want you to look at the pronouns here. Verse 15, therefore by him let us, that's the pronoun, let us collectively continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But now it says this, do not forget. And now he uses the word you here. Instead of, he doesn't say, let those, don't, don't, don't let anybody forget. He says, you do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So he goes from the, the general, let us, and when he comes to this place, he says, you, don't you forget. And he becomes personal. He gets personal because I think that's very important for us because sometimes it's okay to, I agree with what the Bible says. I think love is wonderful. Jesus loved us, and we all should love, and we talk like that. But what about me. I should love. You should love. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. You need to help me to be loving because I can get busy with me. I need to stir you up because you can get busy with you. And our lives begin to turn in on themselves and we forget that there's others out there. That's why it says do not forget. So don't live your life for yourself. You're a priest in the service of Jesus Christ. It's not your money. It's not your time. It's not your agenda. It's not your plans. Look for what God is doing in your life. Keep your eyes open. God is at work. He has those goods, good works for you to work, walk in. Look for what God wants to do through your life 
in his world for his glory. That's what I take from this as priests. Now the liturgy has moved out into the world. Here's our high priest in heaven above, king of kings, lord of lords. We're in his world that he created, and we're here as priests. And what does a priest do? A priest makes God known to people. A priest priest represents God to people. And a priest also represents people to God. So we need to pray for them, and we need to live and be God's holy service to those. So you can begin this, I would say, with those closest to you. Be on the lookout right now. Start tonight for those around you that you can render Christ's priestly service to those around you. So don't live for yourself, else you'll turn in on yourself and you'll shrivel up. But rather, broaden and expand yourself. And as you live for others, he will fill you more and more, bearing more and more fruit. It's a beautiful picture. Let God fulfill it in our hearts and in our lives. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we come to the end of our time with you tonight in this public liturgy. But we also want to be a public liturgy for you. As we go out, may we continue as your priests to render holy, loving service to those around us as you lead us and as you guide us. We commit ourselves to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.